0: You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals.
1: Welcome to episode 52 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. In the last two episodes, Peter Adams of Augmenta in Sydney covered Division 7A loans and payments. So today we will talk about Division 7A and debt forgiveness. Here's Peter.
0: So the third instalment of the Division 7A framework, um, and this is quite different to the way the old Section 108 applied, it uh, generally quarantined itself to loans, private company loans. And, of course, Division 7A extends itself to not just loans, but also payments uh, and debt forgiveness, which is uh, the next topic of our discussion uh, in terms of the Division 7A scope and application. So the first question, once again, is what is a debt forgiveness in the context of Division 7A? Now, this is framed for us under Section 109F of Division 7A, and it talks about that a def- debt will be forgiven by a private company if the debtor's obligation to pay the debt is released, waived, or otherwise extinguished. Or, where a creditor loses its right to sue the debtor for the recovery of the debt because of a state or territory statute of limitations. or Thirdly, when a debtor is effectively released from the obligation to pay the debt, despite the existence of arrangements that continue the indebtedness for a period of time. So really what they're looking at is whether there's a partial or full release from the debt, either as a result of an agreement between the parties or as a result of the operation of state or territory legislation. What that is essentially looking at is in states and territories we have the statute of limitation, the statutory bar period, they call it, uh, which in most states is six years. So if you have an unactioned debt that hasn't been pursued by a creditor uh, and remain dormant for a period of six years, uh, then it prescribes after that period so that there's no legal cause of action available to the creditor beyond that. I think the Northern Territory, the period there is three years, but most of the other um, states and territories, it would be a six-year statute bar period where that would kick in. So by operation of law, then the debt would be deemed to be forgiven. And if it's a debt that was owed to a company and it's deemed to be forgiven either by the company consciously and intentionally or by operation of law, Uh, it would be a debt forgiveness um, in that sense for purposes of Division 7A.
1: So would that affect the unpaid present entitlement in trust? Are UPEs subject to this?
0: Yes, of course. So where you have, for example, a UPE paid to the company and we say, well, that's really a loan the company is making to the trust because the cash that belongs to the company is sitting in the trust. And at some point, the company says to the trust, don't worry about paying me that UPE cash.
1: Or if the company even doesn't say anything, doesn't act on the... uh,
0: Oh, where it prescribes. And then it
1: would become barred. Yes,
0: absolutely. There's potential for that. Yes, most definitely uh, there's potential for that if it becomes statute barred because then the obligation to repay falls away. And the only trigger point then is to say, well... It's only going to be a problem if the trust is an associate of the shareholder of that company. If that's not the case, of course, then there's no problem in terms of division 7A. But yes, that would be the case. It also recognizes as debt forgiveness a concept called debt parking. Debt parking is, of course, where you assign the debt to another entity and that other entity forgives the debt. Then it would still be a debt forgiveness. So if you have a private company, that has a debt owed to it by a shareholder or an associate of the shareholder, but the private company itself doesn't forgive that debt. They assign the debt to another party. That assignment of the debt will be deemed to be a forgiveness of the debt and therefore would also trigger Division 7a. Um, statute bar debts we talked about. Now, you can stop the expiry of the debt under statute barred if you have some sort of trigger to acknowledge the debt is still in existence. So there's some documentation to say, well, I'm not relinquishing the debt. Um, I recognize you owe me the money and you acknowledge you owe me the money. So once that happens, it interrupts the expiry uh, for the statute bar period.
1: So every six years, you have to...
0: Yeah, prior to the expiry of that mm-hmm. six-year time frame. Um, it applies similarly in the context of debt forgiveness as we talked about loans and payments because we, we've quite clearly demonstrated that the scope of Division 7A runs across three models, the direct model and then the interposed entity models, uh, Model 2 and Model 3, similarly with forgiven debts. Um, you cannot avoid Division 7a, even though the debt is uh, forgiven, not directly to the shareholder, but through a conduit interposed entity, it has that effect, with an economic benefit as a result flowing to the shareholder of the first company. So it extends itself across all three models in the same way that loans do and that payments do under Division Um, 7A. Um, similarly, um, it extends itself to forgiven debts, not just to shareholders, but also, of course, to associates. So if there was an originally an indebtedness to the company by not the shareholder, but an associate, and the company forgives that debt, wives that, waives that debt, it results in an unfranked dividend. Now, remember the unfranked dividend, as we explored earlier, goes to the recipient of that economic benefit of the forgiving of the loan, which of course would be the associate in this example, not the shareholder. and That's normally the mechanics of Division 7a. It follows the economic advantage. Where it ends up is where the sanctioning effect is, whether that's the shareholder or whether that's the associate of the shareholder. Just like loans, just like payments, there are certain types of forgiven debts that fall outside the scope of Division 7a where it's specifically excluded from triggering an unfranked deemed dividend under Division 7A. The first one is something similar to what we talked about before. Company-to-company debt forgiveness by itself does not trigger Division 7A. So there's a specific exclusion uh, for that. Any forgiveness of debts that's under the terms of the Bankruptcy Act, the prevailing Bankruptcy Act, if there's a term of forgiveness of debt relevant to the operation of the bankruptcy laws, then that won't give rise to a Division 7a unfrag deemed dividend. Um, the point we made a little bit earlier, we alluded to the fact that we have an existing loan uh, that may itself be a Division 7a loan and has in fact resulted in an unfrag deep dividend. If you subsequently forgive that loan, it won't again be an unfranked deemed dividend as of a forgiven debt, to the extent it was already an unfranked deemed dividend as of a And that's logical that the law would operate like that because it would be um, significantly inequitable if it didn't work in that way. There's also a very interesting, specific commissioner discretion to treat a debt forgiveness as not being an unfranked deemed dividend in certain situations, and this is a specific exclusion that doesn't necessarily exist under loans, doesn't necessarily exist under payments, but exists specifically in the context of the forgiven debt platform of Division 7A. And When can the Mishnah exercise this discretion to not treat the forgiveness as a deemed dividend? In the following instances, if the debt was specifically forgiven, because payment of the debt would have caused undue hardship. One element. Second element, where the entity that incurred the debt had, at the time they incurred the debt, taken out the loan, capacity to pay it. And then the third element, the entity that took out the loan, the debtor, lost the ability to pay the debt, in an event that was beyond their control, circumstances beyond their control. So, what you have to be able to say is we made this loan to the shelter. At the time we made the loan to the shelter, they had the capacity to repay the loan, but something happened beyond their control in an unforeseen way that now prevents their capacity to repay it. Hence, our decision as the company to waive the loan. So this is an open discretion that is afforded within the scope of the debt forgiveness rules under Division 7a. So what I often say to accountants, use it. It's there. They can only say no, but you have a right to seek this as an outcome. You have to say that the pursuit of the tax liability as an unfragged dividend will cause undue hardship and that the forgiveness of the debt is in any event relevant to a loan that the taxpayer did have a capacity to repay at the time the loan was made, but for reasons beyond their control, is no longer in a position to repay. And if we treat that as an unfranked dividend because the company now forgives it, then it would cause undue hardship to that person. And so this is a premise, a basis that we can use to, if all our fails, to seek the Commissioner's discretion not to have it result in the non dividend. Mm. And because it's a specific concession or discretion, um, which doesn't exist in the payment framework or the loan framework of Division 7A, uh, you'd be silly not to use it uh, if uh, your factual circumstances demand it.
1: Mm. So there are three grounds for the Commissioner's Mm. discretion. The first one is um, hardship, undue hardship. The third one is when I had the capacity to repay at the time I take out the loan, but then something happened. But what was the second one? I didn't understand the second one. The the
0: third one. one, you mean?
1: No, no, the second one. The
0: second one says when we took out the loan, we had capacity to pay. The third one is the reason we no longer can repay it is because something happened beyond our control that affects our capacity to repay it. But
1: two and three sound the same to me. No,
0: it's not quite the same. So it's broken up into two. The first one said, when I took out the loan, I did have the capacity to pay. So I have to say... So that was the second one. So you have to say yes. So you have to say, the company didn't give a loan to you knowing you couldn't repay it. The company gave the loan to you because you had the capacity to repay it. And therefore something happened later beyond your control. That now changes the landscape that you can't now repay it. And so the company says, if we pursue this debt, it will cause you undue hardship. So therefore, we're just going to write it off. Okay. So those are the three, three, and all three must be present. Oh, okay. So it's not either or. Uh, it's, it goes together. Okay.
1: Now it makes sense.
0: Okay. So it's all three together.
1: I okay. thought it was either or.
0: No, no, no. It's and, and, and. Okay. Uh, and if you satisfy all three of these requirements, you have a capacity to avail yourself of, of the Commissioner's um, discretion uh, to seek that as an outcome. Um, and of course, um, the second part of the unfrank deemed dividend equation is what's the amount of the unfranked-deemed dividend. And here, the unfranked-deemed dividend as of a forgiven debt uh, operates on the same basis. It can only be up to the amount of the company's distributable surplus in the year that the debt is forgiven. Uh, And that's always going to be the case, both with payments, loans, and forgiven debts. Uh, And of course, um, the next question is similar to what we asked, relevant to loans, payments, uh, also, is what if the person that's the shareholder is also an employee? Uh, you do have a particular type of fringe benefit here in the, co- uh, in the context of debt forgiveness, uh, which is a debt waiver fringe benefit. How does it apply now? Because we saw two different things between loans and payments. Loans, Division 7A, superseded fringe benefits tax. When it came to payments and there was an employment component, then fringe benefit tax superseded Division 7A. How does it work with debt forgiveness? Well, debt forgiveness works similar to payments in the sense that if it is a debt waiver fringe benefit because it's in respect of the employment of the individual, then fringe benefit stacks would supersede Division 7A. And
1: that's, that's interesting because I had in my head that yes. Division 7A always triumphs, Where? and it's actually not the case. It's only
0: in loans, only, only in loans. And that's only because... There's a specific provision that now creates that carve out in fringe benefit law. In fringe benefit law is where the carve out happens. Because in fringe benefit law, the definition of fringe benefit has a specific exclusion that says if an amount under Division 7A is a Division 7A loan, then it's excluded from being a fringe benefit. No such exclusion exists. For transfers of property, for and for giving debts, for payments, yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, I see. Because there is a rule in FPT, I think, that says if a benefit is given to a shareholder who is also an employee, then the employment relationship prevails.
0: Yeah. So, and so. so that, that yeah, costs. only if there is an employment relationship. Yes. So fringe benefit tax says any benefit to an employee that is in respect of the employment of the employee, is a French benefit. So the fact that I give it to you as an employee doesn't make it a French benefit. I need to say that the giving of it is in respect of your employment. That makes it a French benefit. Now, if I'm able to say that, it's a French benefit against all other takers. The only exception is loans. So that's how it works. So if I'm able to say that the debt forgiveness is not in respect of you being an employee, even though you are an employee, then Division 7A steps back into the fold. That's how it works. So mechanically it's quite confusing because you think with loans, Division 7A wins, and with payments and forgiven debts, FPT wins. So, you know, it can be quite confusing, and this is quite a common misconception about this side of um division 7A interaction with um, with fringe, um, fringe benefits tax.
1: How does division 7A forgiveness tie in to the uh, commercial debt forgiveness rules? Okay.
0: It doesn't tie in directly because the commercial debt forgiveness rules, Oh, I should say this, Division 7A would supersede the commercial debt forgiveness rules as an outcome. But the commercial debt forgiveness rules apply a little bit differently in terms of its application because if it's a private company that forgives a debt owed by a shareholder, then, of course, that translates into an unfracked dividend, as we just talked about. Now that uh, would supersede the commercial debt forgiveness rules, but if it's not a shelter or an associate of the shelter that gets the benefit of the debt forgiveness, then the commercial debt forgiveness rules come in, and it comes in on the basis that um, there's an outcome for the debtor entity uh, in that um, the debtor entity gets an economic benefit on not having to repay the debt but it doesn't bring it home as income in the hands of the debtor. Uh, That economic benefit as a tax consequence translates this way. It says to the debtor, you've achieved an economic benefit because you now no longer have to repay the loan. Whatever the net forgiven amount is, we want you to apply that to reduce any tax losses you have, whether it's revenue losses or capital losses. Reduce that. And if you still have some net forgiven left after applying it that way, then it will wipe out the cost base it's of your assets, assets and also depreciating assets, okay? So that's how it applies. If I have no losses, I have no assets, then it doesn't really have a negative impact on me, okay? Um, and uh, so Division 7A does have superseding authority over the commercial net forgiveness rules. <laughs> And so, really, that's um, probably the final piece of the puzzle in our discussion around the framework of Division 7a and the three application points. Loans, payments, and forgiven debts.
1: Welcome back. So, this was the last episode on Division 7a for now. In the next episode, episode 53, Daniel McHale of Partners Wealth Group in Sydney will go through some of the areas of the super reform that received less limelight in the past. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.